Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now, let's dig in. Hey, bed crimers, what's happening? T here with the story of the Gilgo Beach serialist. Just like Dennis Rader, aka BTK, terrorized the town of Wichita, Kansas for decades before finally getting caught, an unidentified monster dubbed the Gilgo Beach serialist was, on some level, always in the back of the minds of those living on Long Island's South Shore. It all started back in 2010. So that's when a 24-year-old aspiring actress named Shannon Gilbert from Jersey City, New Jersey, suddenly disappeared in May. She'd vanished after an escort job in Oak Beach, which is an isolated gated community several miles from Gilgo Beach. On December 11, 2010, while searching for Shannon, Suffolk County police discovered a set of female remains along a desolate stretch of Ocean Parkway between Gilgo Beach and nearby Cedar Beach. But the remains didn't belong to Shannon Gilbert, so the officers kept searching around that same area, knowing that that's where Shannon was last heard from. And two days later, they found three more sets of female human remains spread over about a quarter mile, roughly 500 feet apart. And none of the remains belong to Shannon. Can you imagine? They're looking for one missing person, and instead they stumble on what appears to be a potential serialist dumping ground or graveyard. It's like, Oh my God, we may be dealing with a serialist. And for the people of Long Island who live near Gilgo Beach, it was perhaps even scarier. Whoever had done this was still out there and could strike again at any time. That's a moment when you start looking at your neighbors with a side eye. Like, who among us might be a potential psychopath? And I'm sure females in the area who had previously enjoyed solo walks and runs on Gilgo Beach never went back there alone. Upping the creep factor was that those four sets of female remains were from women who were all in their early 20s, all under five feet tall, all around a hundred pounds, and all with hazel green eyes. If this was the work of a serialist, which it clearly looked like, then he had a specific physical type. I heard one investigator say that maybe the perpetrator picked petite women because they're easier to move from place to place when deceased, as in dead weight. But it could also be because he was someone who got off on being domineering and using his larger size, if he was indeed larger, to control and hurt these women. Here's how the timeline of the four initial sets of remains being found went down. So that first set of female remains that were found on December 11th of 2010 were stashed away in bushes, and they belonged to 24-year-old 
Melissa Bartholomew. Bartholomew had been living in the Bronx, but was originally from the Buffalo area. She went missing on July 12th of 2009. Then, just two days later, after finding Bartholomew, when police located the remains of the three additional females, the remains belonged to 25-year-old Marine Brainard Barnes of Norwich, Connecticut. She'd been missing since July 9th, 2007 and 27-year-old Amber Lynn Costello, who was last seen in North Babylon on Long Island on September 2nd of 2010, and 22-year-old Megan Waterman, who was last seen leaving a hotel several miles northeast of where the bodies were found. All three women, along with Melissa Bartholomew, had advertised their escort services with their photos on Craigslist, and all had disappeared between the period of July of 2007 and September of 2010, so roughly a three-year period. Being found so close to one another and all having this work history in common led them to quickly being dubbed the Gilgo Four. The women had another detail in common in their desks. Each was wrapped in camouflaged burlap. Richard Dormer, the commissioner of the Suffolk County Police Department at the time, said at a news conference that it was not a coincidence that four bodies turned up in the same location. He added that the bodies would indicate they were dumped there by the same person or persons. Note that where the remains were dumped was not actually on the nice part of the beach. It was rather in a wet, marshy section with scratchy wild bushes and tall, spiky grasses, so it wasn't a place that people typically ventured through, and with the bodies wrapped in camouflaged burlap, they were almost impossible to see unless you put on Wellington boots like the investigators did and stepped through the rough foliage. For all these reasons, investigators were fairly certain this was indeed the work of a serialist. I heard one investigator speculate that the perpetrator may have used the burlap Lap, not only because it offered camouflage, but also because it's breathable, which apparently makes for quicker decomposition. But the nightmare on Gilgo Beach wasn't over. A few months later, on March 29th of 2011, the partial skeletal remains of another female were found several miles east of where the bodies of the Gilgo Four had been found. This body became known as Jane Doe Number 5 before investigators were finally able to identify her as Jessica Taylor. Taylor, too, had been an escort, and it sounds like some of her remains had previously been discovered in the village of Manorville on Long Island back in 2003. So if whoever did in Taylor was the same person who harmed the Gilgo Four, if it indeed was one person, then his killing spree went back as far as 2003. But it it's possible Taylor met with death at the hands of someone else altogether. Then, the following month, on April 4th of 2011, three more sets of remains were found. They belonged to an Asian male in his late teens or early 20s who the authorities said was wearing women's clothing and appeared to have died a violent death. There was also a little girl whose body had been hidden 
in a thicket of branches and poison ivy. She was between 18 months and 24 months old at the time of her death. And yet another female, who was initially dubbed Jane Doe Number 6, by now the police and the community must have been truly freaking the fuh out. I'm sure they were wondering how many more bodies are we going to find and who is or who are the sick lunatics behind all this mayhem. So a week later, two more sets of human remains were found in Nassau County, which is about 40 miles east of New York City. One of these sets was identified as that little girl's mother through DNA analysis. So the partial remains found of this mother were later genetically matched with some other remains found in 1996 on Fire Island. Officials said that these remains significantly expanded the timeline and geographic reach of the investigation. Eight months later, in December of 2011, the skeletal remains of Shannon Gilbert were finally found. She too was located in a marshy area, this time on Suffolk County's Oak Beach. This is about nine miles away from where the other sets of remains were found. Officials said they thought she'd drowned while trying to reach the parkway after knocking on some doors in Oak Beach. So all these remains are found in 2010 and 2011, and then the case seems to go cold until a decade later when in January of 2020, the Suffolk County Police decided to concentrate more resources on this mystery. So for 10 years, the citizens of this area were living with the fear of a violent perpetrator on the loose. Then, in January, authorities released photos of a black leather belt embossed with the letters WH or HM. You couldn't really tell. Former Suffolk County Police Commissioner Geraldine Hart told reporters at the time, quote, We believe the belt was handled by the suspect and did not belong to any of the victims, end quote. So it looks like the perpetrator may have accidentally left this belt behind. Now the investigators had some initials to possibly help them narrow down the search for the monster. The investigators also launched a website in 2020 to collect new tips. Then, four months later, on May 28th of 2020, the Suffolk County Police Department announced that Jane Doe number 6, whose partial remains had been found on April 4th of 2011, were now identified as belonging to 24-year-old mother, Valerie Mack, from Philadelphia. She went missing two decades earlier. And guess what? Like the Gilgo Four, Valerie, too, was petite, under five feet tall, with hazel green eyes. The FBI helped the authorities identify Mac using advanced forensic DNA technology. Don't you love how advances in DNA technology are now allowing us to root out the monsters responsible for heinous crimes that occurred decades ago? I hope every uncaught monster lives with the daily fear of having the authorities knock on his or her door. So, using DNA samples from Max Remains, investigators were able to find her biological relatives through genetic genealogy, much as the authorities have done in the Brian Koberger case. This eventually led 
led to Mac's adoptive family and her son. Fast forward two years to February of 2022, and that's when Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison formed a multi-agency task force to reinvestigate the Gilgo Beach crimes. The task force was made up of Suffolk County PD, the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office, the New York State Police, and the FBI. This is really when investigators put the pedal to the metal. Roughly one month later, on March 14th of 2022, the name Rex Hoyerman was first mentioned as a possible suspect in the case. His name came up after a New York State investigator identified him in a database. Note how Hoyerman's last name matches one of the initials on that leather belt, the H. I'm thinking maybe that belt belongs to his son or his father, the son of an aerospace engineer who built satellites for a living, 59-year-old Rex Hoyerman of Massapequa Park, Long Island, which is on the southeastern edge of Nassau County, is a married father to a 26-year-old daughter named Victoria, who, get this, works with him at his architectural firm called R.H. Consultants and Associates. The firm works out of an office on 5th Avenue and 36th Street in New York City and has been in business since 1994. Hoyerman is married to Victoria's mother, described as a 59-year-old Icelandic woman named Asa Ellerup, and he's also stepfather to Ellerup's son. Asa Ellerup reportedly attended Farmingdale High School and previously worked at the Long Island Jewish Medical Center. Note that Rex was married once before to a lady named Elizabeth Ryan. Hoyerman's current wife, Asa, lives with him in his childhood home in Massapequa Park, Over the years, the house has become, well, a ramshackle eyesore in an otherwise charming neighborhood. Rather unusual, you'd think, for a guy who works as an architect. Note that where Hoyerman lived is just a short drive to where the Gilgo Four's remains were found. Now, Rex Hoyerman doesn't seem to have had a clue that he was in the FBI's scope for about a year. You see, it wasn't until July 13th of 2023 that Hoyerman was finally arrested and taken into custody in New York City as he was just strolling down a sidewalk. Detectives were tailing him, and then they managed to surround him and corner him without him noticing. Then they told him he was being arrested and they handcuffed him. Hoyerman was immediately transferred back to Suffolk County Police Headquarters on Long Island. At a height of six feet four inches, with a heavyish physique, Rex Hoyerman is without a doubt a scary-looking dude, especially when you factor in the crimes he's accused of. Someone described him as resembling an ogre, and I think that's pretty much spot on. And not only does he look intimidating, apparently his neighbors have been saying that he and his house give off a creepy vibe, so much so that many would not allow their kids to trick-or-treat there on Halloween. One neighbor said that he and another dad 
decided to take their kids to that house this past Halloween just to see what the scary Rex Hoyerman might do. Apparently, the Hoyermans handed the kids pumpkins filled with candy. So I'm assuming those plastic pumpkins, but they were filled with candy, like a lot of candy. And when their wives heard that their husbands had taken their kids to that house, they made the kids throw the candy out smart move. You never know. Another neighbor described saying hi to Hoyerman as he chopped wood in his yard, and he said that Rex Hoyerman just stared at him without smiling and without replying. Scary. Others said that whenever they saw him coming down the sidewalk, they'd move to the other side. So it sounds like he was the type of person who gave off a dark, evil vibe, at least to his neighbors. But when in the role of architect in New York City, Rex Hoyerman apparently didn't reek of the weirdo stank, but did come across as rather puffed up and full of himself. According to investigators, the case against Hoyerman came together when the investigation was sort of re-examined starting in January of 2020. It sounds like because the Gilgo Four were initially reduced to their professions as ladies of the night, their deaths weren't maybe treated with as much care as they should have been. Sadly, this seems to be too often the case. Women reduced to a title and then considered not as valuable. So wrong. During the investigation that started anew, more than 300 subpoenas and search warrants were issued to collect evidence and tie Rex Hoyerman conclusively to at least three of the female victims. That's why Hoyerman has only been charged with three counts of first degree mm, for three of the women, Megan Waterman, Amber Costello, and Melissa Bartholomew. However, he is named as the prime suspect in the death of Maureen Brainerd Barnes as well, and the authorities have hinted that more charges could be coming. Hoyerman pleaded not guilty to the charges and told his attorney as he cried that he's not the perpetrator. Standing next to him in the courtroom was his distraught-looking wife, Aza. When asked about her husband's case, Aza is quoted as saying, please leave me alone. I will not be saying anything, End quote. Hoyerman is being held without bail. I think that's a good call, understatement. Monster cries when caught after allegedly taking the lives of four women. Interesting. Of course, he's innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, but the evidence sounds extremely strong. In March of 2022, investigators found that a first-generation Chevy Avalanche, the same type of truck that a witness believed to have been driven by whoever did in Amber Costello, was registered to Rex Hoyerman at the time of Costello's death. Other evidence found linking Hoyerman to the crimes are burner phones that he used to contact the victims. Investigators found calls to the victims originated from locations connected to Rex Hoyerman. Investigators also said they narrowed cell tower records from thousands of possible individuals down to hundreds and then down to a handful. They focused on residents in the area of the cell towers who matched a physical description provided by that same witness who saw the truck. 
task force members learned that Hoyermond lived close to one Long Island cell site and worked near New York City cell sites where other calls originated. And get this, a series of, quote, taunting calls where a male caller admitted to doing in and essaying Melissa Bartholomew were made from her phone to her family members from the vicinity of Hoyerman's office in Midtown Manhattan during the summer of 2009. Hoyerman also used burner phones to contact sex workers, massage parlors, and he also created false names for an email account he used to search for such workers, and as well, Yucky Child P. He also searched for podcasts and documentaries about the Gilgo Beach case and the investigation. Yes, serialists do read articles and watch podcasts about their own crimes. The crucial break in this whole horrible case came in January of 2023. That's when investigators took a swab from a leftover pizza crust that Hoyerman discarded in the trash outside his Manhattan office. Apparently, the investigators nabbed a cup from his trash before this, but it didn't have enough DNA on it. The DNA on the pizza crust was linked to a hair found on the bottom of the burlap used to wrap Megan Waterman's body. Think about that. Crime scene investigators located one of Hoyerman's hairs on this burlap and matched it to his DNA on that pizza crust. In addition, hair believed to be from Hoyerman's wife, Aza Ellerup, was found on or near three of the female victims. DNA was collected from bottom inside a garbage can outside the Hoyerman home to get her DNA. Her hairs, which were found in 2010, were degraded back then, so the DNA testing back in 2010 yielded no results. But recent mitochondrial DNA testing allowed investigators to make the connection in 2023. I'm wondering if Rex Hoyerman had his wife's hair on his clothing when he allegedly committed these crimes, or if her hair was on the burlap he used to wrap the bodies. It's unclear exactly how the wife's hair made it to the crime scenes, but the wife and Hoyerman's two kids were out of the state when those three women are believed to have died. That's why the wife is not believed to have had anything to do with the crimes. Apparently, the authorities fearing that Hoyerman might be tipped off as they were closing in on him, moved in last Thursday to arrest him. The investigators knew the person responsible for the crimes would be looking at them to see if they were hot on his trail. Because not all of the victims whose remains were found have been identified and their cases remain unsolved, the task force work is not yet over. They will continue to seek answers. So, will we find out that Rex Hoyerman committed all of these crimes, or will another perpetrator be rooted out? Time will tell. You can be sure that I will bring you more videos about this shocking case. So, consider this episode one of a full series about the Gilgo Beach murders. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Hey, if you appreciate my work, please smash that like button, 
subscribe to my channel, and consider a Patreon subscription. It's a great way to help me be able to continue making videos for YouTube. See you next time. Troubleshooting, architectural troubleshooting, and negotiations with the building department. Okay. What I mean by that is, do we do the standard stuff with the building department? Um, handle your filings. Um, I have other clients who are a lot of other architects. Mm -hmm. And we'll handle their interactions with the building department, yeah. especially out-of-city architects, because they're a little afraid of the city. And when, city. <laughs> when a job that should have been routine yeah. suddenly becomes not routine, yeah. I get the phone call. Gotcha. Whether it's an old building and they need somebody that understands and can maneuver the 1938 building code, or the current building code. You look surprised when I say 1938 building yeah, code. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I've actually used the 1901 old tenement laws here in the city of New York, and you can legally do so. Oh, wow. That's one of the little things that, that you do. people don't always understand when it comes to building codes. Yeah, yeah. They never read the administrative section. <laughs> So, uh, what what decided you to launch that particular, I would say, a niche of a of a business? Was it because out of uh, uh, frustration on your side as an architect, you say, "I can't believe, you know, I didn't think about that. Let me dive into it and let me uh, let me try to maybe make it a business out of it," or was just you know you just decided to do it? Actually, it was Harvey's fault. Of who? <laughs> In 1987, when I came to work in the city, the first architect I worked for was Harvey Rosenberg. Okay. Great man. That year, a new law came out. Local law 58 of 87. Okay. That's all the handicap access. Oh, okay. They said, Did you? You're the new guy. You read it. So, I read you it. read it. There was a situation dealing with the city. They said, well, go meet with the city. I did. I was effective at it. He said, go do it again. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And that's how the whole thing started. Okay. 